Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. More than 5,200 people have been killed so far in the conflict between Palestine and Israel, which began October 7th. Meanwhile, Egypt announces it will open the Rafah border crossing to allow limited humanitarian aid to enter the besieged Gaza Strip. What's behind the latest fighting? How likely could the current conflict escalate into a regional war? And after the U.S. vetoed the U.N.'s call for humanitarian pause, how to prevent the growing humanitarian crisis in the territory? To discuss these issues and more, I'm joined by Peter Kuznick, professor of history at American University, and Wang Jian, associate professor at Northwest University of China, and Mayor Java Danfa, Middle East analyst based in Israel. And uh, that's our topic. I'm Xu Qinduo. Well, welcome to Dialogue. Uh, Peter, I will start with you. So what's the latest uh, humanitarian situation uh, like in the Gaza in particular, uh, you know, in the area with missile strikes here? Well, the latest situation is pretty dire right now. The humanitarian aid has not been getting in. Israel has imposed a blockade, really, of food, fuel, energy, electricity. According to the World Health Organization, at least 115 healthcare facilities have been hit already by Israeli bombs. <clears throat> we saw the terrible developments at the hospital there. Uh, and so Israel has been bombing very, very aggressively inside of Gaza and has been demanding that the population in the northern part of Gaza move south. However, that's an almost impossible task. They want to move 1.1 million people from the north to the south. When people get to the south, they've got no place to stay, and they're, being, they're bombing in the south as well. So what we're seeing is the beginnings of a humanitarian catastrophe inside of Gaza. If Israel invades, it's only going to get worse, far, far worse. Uh, Peter, if you can go back a little bit, uh, you know, let's take a look at uh, you know, the latest uh, round of a crisis or tension came after Hamas launched attack inside Israel. People say that's the first direct conflict inside Israel since the 1948 war between Arab and Israeli uh, states there. Tell us, you know, what is behind the move uh, by Hamas? Let me first say that the Hamas attack was unconscionable. To kill 260 people celebrating at a rave at a dance party and then to murder babies and women and old people is just horrific. However, we, it's the perfect timing because Israel is in disarray. Netanyahu's extreme right-wing government has, with the judicial reform has divided Israeli society in a way we've really never seen before. At the same time, Netanyahu has moved the troops from the Gaza area up to the north because the settlers have been attacking the Palestinian civilians in the West Bank as they take more and more land and expand their settlements. So they were unprepared militarily, unprepared intelligence-wise, unprepared politically. On top of that, Israel's main backer, the United States, is also in political disarray. First of all, its focus was on Ukraine, really, and to some extent Taiwan, at the same time that Congress is not functioning. 
in the United States. Besides that, the timing is important because they're trying to scuttle this rapprochement between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Uh, Iran has condemned it. If, if uh, that deal goes through, then they'll have not only the UAE and Saudi Arabia normalizing relations with Israel, but other states in the region are likely to follow. Uh, so those are three of the major factors in terms of understanding the timing. But Israel is very weakened right now, uh, and the United States is distracted. So they picked the proper time for this kind of attack. Mm -hmm. uh, Wang Jian, you know, there's a finger pointing inside Israel uh, at either the failure of the intelligence or the national leadership, uh, meaning Prime Minister Netanyahu. Uh, what do you make of that? Yes, from its perspective of Israeli side, its sudden attack from the Hamas in Gaza against uh, Israel territories uh, should, could be, to some extent, attributed, concluded as the very failure of both Israeli intelligence systems as well as, of course, the government led by Benjamin Netanyahu himself. Because on the one hand, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, or we call Bibi for short, he uh, describes himself as always as the Mr. Security and uh, his government uh, which organized uh, ever since uh, the very end of the last year was uh, maybe the most outshore uh, right-wing and right-wing government in inside Israeli, even in uh, Israeli history. So that is why a lot of people once believed that their government was strong, their government was very assertive, and their government could have the capabilities to secure their own uh, civilians and citizens. But then look at what happened that uh, during the very past uh, weeks, the, the, the Israeli people, they witnessed a lot of uh, casualties and deaths and the disasters of their civilians after the uh, attack from Hamas. So this is, of course, a very bad news for Israelis. And on the other hand, we cannot forget that uh, after this round of attack, uh, the, the both sides, especially after the Israeli launched uh, a counterattack against the targets inside Gaza, that also led to larger waves of humanitarian crisis as well as larger numbers of casualties uh, of civilians of Palestinians inside Gaza. So actually it's led to the both sides, they suffered a lot, especially the civilians suffered a lot. So this kind of the failure, we talk about Israeli, the intelligence failure, or the government failure, it is one thing. But then we cannot forget the disasters of, of the both sides because in the war, in the confrontations, only civilians suffered, only the people suffered. So that is the, the people, they will pay the price of the war. Mm -hmm. Well, speak of that, uh, you know, Peter, uh, back to you, uh, the UN Secretary General uh, is calling for a ceasefire, an immediate ceasefire, so uh, the outside can provide us the necessary assistance to the civilians. And then in the UN Security Council, uh, there is a resolution proposed by the Brazilians, basically to uh, calling for a similar call, calling for a pause, uh, a humanitarian pause. Uh, the US was the only country against such a, a resolution. What, what is the explanation? How, how can people explain, you know, what's wrong with the ceasefire here? Well, and the vote was 12 in favor of the resolution, two abstentions, and the U.S. opposing it. The U.S. has always had Israel's back in the United Nations. And the UN, U.S. UN ambassador said the reason was to let diplomacy work out. Well, that's really laughable. This is not about diplomacy right now. This is about giving Israel carte blanche to go in there and exact a toll on the Gazan population. Israel does not want to be stopped right now. Israel, there's a 
very strong feeling on part of the Israelis that this is their opportunity to wipe out Hamas and they want to take it. But there's a lot of opposition to that, opposition globally, opposition within the United States and throughout the Middle East. And so Israel seems intent upon this invasion. And the U.S. has said it's not going to stand in Israel's way. But the world is looking for a different solution. And a ceasefire would be the first step to at least letting calmer heads prevail and saving a potential humanitarian catastrophe, which would be disastrous not only for Israel, in my opinion, but of course for the Palestinians. Yes, we have our correspondent uh, in uh, Gaza, I believe. Uh, let's cross over to Noor Harazin, who is on the ground in Gaza. Uh, Noor, uh, there's been growing concern of the effects on civilians, you know, in particular the children, the women, the elderly. Tell us, you are there. What's the situation like now? This is not only the deadliest war between Gaza and Israel, but also it is Gaza's worst humanitarian crisis in its history. I mean, I have, we have never ever witnessed anything uh, like that. People, and we do not exaggerate when we say that they do not have access to water. The water bottles have run out from the uh, markets. Even here at the hospitals, the water tanks are empty. Same thing in the mosques and the shelters. The only assistance that the people here in Gaza are getting are either from uh, themselves, basically neighbors or relatives, or some uh, UN workers who are working in the UN shelters and the UN uh, schools. However, uh, several UN schools were uh, attacked by Israel. Several people who work with the UN UNRWA uh, also have been uh, killed here in Gaza. So this is the situation from my side. Mm -hmm. uh, so what is the expectation? You know, there are reports saying that uh, uh, the assistance or the aid has been delayed because of the inspection regime. Uh, probably they won't have some or impose some proper inspection process. Uh, uh, and then, you know, what else can people do to get to the proper assistance? Well, the people here, the civilians, the citizens, have reached the point where they just have to cope with whatever they face. Uh, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people that fled their homes from northern Gaza and from central Gaza City to southern Gaza. However, there has been attacks here in southern Gaza. We have uh, hundreds of thousands of people who fled their homes and took shelter in UN schools and in hospitals and in mosques, churches. However, all of these uh, places were attacked by uh, Israel. We have a number of UN schools, a number of mosques, UN schools and hospitals. Uh, so people do realize that there is nowhere safe in Gaza. Same thing in the, uh, when we are talking about the humanitarian aid. At the beginning they were relieved, happy, however now they have lost hope because over the past few days Egypt have been saying and promising that the aid will enter the Gaza Strip, however there is nothing here on the ground. So we can clearly say that the people are actually losing hope, the civilians here in Gaza, and um, they do believe that the humanitarian aid will not enter the Gaza Strip for at least a few more days. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you, Noor. Uh, let's turn to Wang Jin. Uh, Wang Jin, uh, if you take a look at, at the situation uh, and also if you look at the response from Israel, for example, uh, their generals are telling their soldiers to be ready for a ground offensive against Gaza, uh, the besieged area right now. Um, what do we know about the offensive? You know, when will that happen? 
Uh, will that happen with the consideration of protecting the civilians? Uh, well, I, I think on the one hand, uh, unfortunately, I think it will happen. There is a, the, the very large wave of military operations from Israeli forces against uh, Gaza, very likely to be inevitable because Israel, uh, after their, uh, the early days of this round of the crisis, Israeli they suffered a lot and they hoped that uh, they could, uh, to some extent, uh, their social opinion and social public ideas, they hoped that the Israeli government and Israeli forces could revenge and you know, could retaliate against uh, the Hamas presence in Gaza. So unfortunately, I think after the, uh, the calling of reserve armies and also deployment of the reserve armies, about uh, more than 300 uh, thousand forces around Gaza, I think they will finally launch the attacks. So unfortunately, I think it will happen. But uh, that it, when it will happen, I think it might take longer time. Because actually, on the one hand, uh, there were a lot of international pressure. Uh, the majority of the states in the international society, they hoped that Israel could delay this kind of the round of uh, ground forces against Gaza in the exchange of the human and the local civilians withdrawal from north to south. So actually it will take time and because a lot of people, they have to gather their family, they, kind of, they have to find a role, they have to find uh, enough shelters and food and supplies. So, that's, so actually the humanitarian corridors has not been successfully established. It will take time. And then on the other hand, from the perspective, it's really uh, military decision makers. They need more time to gather information and intelligence about the Gaza targets because we know that it's really withdrawn from Gaza totally, completely after 2005. And it has been nearly two decades that this area is without any Israeli or Jewish presence. So actually the Israeli intelligence establishment, they need time to gather information, to gather intelligence. That will also take time. But unfortunately, I mean, no matter what happened, no matter how long it would take, I think Israeli uh, forces, uh, their, uh, their military operation against Gaza will finally be launched. I hope that this kind of the military operation will not lead to a large wave of the humanitarian crisis for civilians in Gaza. That will become a very uh, tragedy for civilians, for the local people there. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Wang Jin, so what is the purpose of this ground offensive? Uh, you know, to wipe out the Hamas leadership or the Hamas entirely? Uh, but how do they tell, you know, you know, Hamas or from civilians, you know, uh, how, how do you make sure like, uh, you know, they are Hamas? Okay, that's the one I'm going to retaliate against, but not somebody else? I think, I think it's also the very important topic that are still uh, being debated inside Israel. Because on the one hand, we have already uh, witnessed a lot of Israeli leaders, their speeches, their statements, uh, calling for the, uh, so the military forces of Israel, the IDF, Israel Defense Forces, to totally, completely eliminate the, the presence of Hamas in Gaza. Of course, it's the political propaganda, it's the goal under this political uh, the leadership. But on the other hand, as you, as you mentioned, it might be a very difficult task because actually Hamas is not only the kind of the organization, it's actually the kind of ideology, it's the kind of the thinking to resist the occupation of Israel. So it is very difficult to distinguish very clearly who are the Hamas members or who are the Hamas supporters and who are the, who are the very, very pure civilians, especially after the uh, the, when, after the war, once the, the very large ground forces attack started, it will maybe provoke more uh, Palestinians in Gaza, more pa Palestinian civilians in Gaza. They might join the ranks of Hamas to resist the presence of Israeli defense 
uh, or the military presence there. So actually, it will become a much difficult, a much more difficult task for Israeli uh, forces to totally so-called, totally or to so-called, uh, uh, completely limit the presence of Hamas there. And mm -hmm. meanwhile, I think maybe, maybe that Israeli's uh, purpose or Israeli aim uh, will be to establish the kind of some buffer zoo in the northern Gaza or in parts of the Gaza that neighbored Israeli territories in the prevent of possible next possible attacks that's similar to what happened, I mean, two week, nearly two weeks ago. That might be the very Israeli's purpose. But no matter what happened, I mean, it will lead to large waves of uh, humanitarian crisis for both uh, the Israeli peoples as well as uh, very, uh, the Palestinians, especially uh, locally in Gaza. And also it will lead to a lot of the casualties and the deaths, especially for the Israeli soldiers. It will become a tragedy for both Israelis and Palestinians themselves. A tragedy for both sides. Uh, uh, Peter, uh, of course, as we know that, you know, whatever the purpose, you know, Israel has ordered more than, as you said, more than one million local uh, people living in northern Gaza to move to the southern part of the strip. Uh, and then you have this, you know, firm response, I would say, from Egypt. The president, uh, al-Sisi, said on Wednesday that the current war is an attempt to push the civilian inhabitants to migrate to Egypt, and that would wreck peace in the region. Are we going to see a kind of like a deal similar to uh, the one between Turkey and the EU, you know, uh, okay, Egypt will host probably millions of uh, people from Gaza somehow, you know, somebody or some country will pay for that? Uh, I doubt it. The Egyptians have made clear they don't want any part of this kind of a deal. They might allow a small number in, but they've been pretty staunch in their opposition. The situation is going to get worse. In many ways, uh, Hamas seems knew that Israel would have to retaliate, that Israel would, and they were hoping that Israel would overreact with a disproportionate response. So to turn the sympathy away from the Israelis who were brutally murdered by Hamas, to turn that sympathy into sympathy for the Palestinians who are now going to be brutally murdered by Israel. You know, uh, we were talking about the kind of situation inside Gaza. Human Rights Watch has called Gaza an open-air prison. Even before this latest round, 80% of the people in Gaza were living in poverty. 46% unemployment rate in Gaza. We're talking about horrific humanitarian conditions before the fighting. Now Israel has begun bombing uh, the infrastructure there. When the Russians bombed the infrastructure in Ukraine, uh, the United States condemned this and said this was uh, war crimes. Now this is part of what Israel is doing already. But if they invade, we're talking about one of the most densely populated areas in the world. And we're talking about civilians living amidst all of these uh, military targets uh, with these tunnels underneath and the buildings being, being uh, destroyed now. There's no way to avoid mass civilian casualties. Is Hamas willing to accept that? Yes, Hamas seems to be willing to accept that and almost to welcome that. Uh, should Israel fall into that trap? We saw what happened when Israel uh, invaded Lebanon and it took them 20 years to get out. Uh, what's the end game for Israel? What are they thinking? What can they achieve? As our other guest said, uh, Hamas is not just an organization, it's a movement. 
and you can't wipe out a movement. And the more they kill, the more future terrorists they're going to create, the more people who are going to hate Israel. So we need outside forces to intervene and be, and try to impose a ceasefire and some kind of rapprochement regionally in the broader sense, just like we need in uh, over Ukraine, just like we need over Taiwan at this point. And we need to have some kind of peaceful resolution, And the, but the time seems to be wrong. Neither Hamas wants that, nor Israel wants that. And, and so we're going to play this deadly game out. But it ha the humanitarian consequences are one thing. The other thing we have to consider is the possibility of this expanding into a regional war. If uh, this, we see all the, the images of the Palestinians being slaughtered in Gaza, what does Hezbollah do? Hezbollah is 10 times as powerful as Hamas. Hezbollah has 100,000 armed troops. Hezbollah has a massive number of 150,000 rockets and missiles that they can use to overwhelm Israel and to attack Israel. Then if Hezbollah gets involved, does Iran get involved? Does Syria? Does Iraq? Does Yemen? I mean, we are looking at the possibility of a complete World War III emerging, or at least a, a minimally a regional war. And the United States has two aircraft carrier strike groups in the eastern Mediterranean. The United States will almost certainly be drawn in because Israel will be fighting minimally a two-front war and possibly a, a several-front war. Israel can't do that despite how capable their military is. But we have to also remember that the Israeli military is more demoralized now, lower morale because of Netanyahu's horribly divisive policies inside Israel than it's been before. And that's why they were caught asleep, because their focus is not where it needed to be. Mm. And, and so the possibilities of this becoming an even worse, um, worse situation are enormous. Speak of the outside um, uh, intervention, uh, uh, Peter, you know, uh, President Biden has been calling for like emergency aid to both Ukraine and Israel. And uh, the Senate has passed, uh, approved the, uh, obviously the aid package there. But uh, we know the House of Representatives uh, uh, is still to find a new speaker. So what will happen and what impact that will have on the current conflict? Well, Biden is calling for $14 billion for Israel, $60 billion for Ukraine, also more funding for Taiwan and for the southern border in the United States. So overall, a $100 billion package. But as you say, the uh, U.S. Congress is in disarray. The Republicans do not want to govern and they can't come up with a speaker they can agree on in, in the House. And so the Congress is right now at a stalemate. They can't pass anything. But the, uh, Biden has other funds that he can draw on in an emergency. And he's been using that to supply funds to Ukraine. And in the short run, we'll be able to do some of that to support Israel. But in the long run, as you say, they can't. And the other problem, you saw they're not able to come up with the arms they want for Ukraine. They're several years behind in the arms they want to send to Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And so and the, many of the arms that they're sending to Israel conflict with the arms that they want to send elsewhere. So, you know, Biden's approach is 
to pour is a lot of military spending, which benefits the U.S. military industrial complex, because that's where the money really goes, but is really not able to provide all of that now. So he's trying to rally the forces with his cry for military solutions to political problems. Mm-hmm. And the military solutions only create more problems. Yes, uh, it's a good point, uh, Wang Jian. Uh, do you agree? Like, uh, you know, now, do you think there is a need of a military solution to this long, uh, long-term problem? It has been there for decades. Uh, uh, is the military the, the way forward? Or we do something else, probably, to find a, a long-term solution to really solve the, the disputes, the conflicts between the two sides? Yeah, yes, maybe from the perspective of some, some countries, the military solutions might be the, uh, the only choice. But uh, if we look at from the longer history, that the military solutions only harms both sides because nobody will benefit finally from the military solution. Somebody may win sometime, but they were not able to win forever. And somebody could uh, maintain a stability or safety from their own understanding for temporary time. But then if we look at the longer time, then finally they will be retaliated. They will be revenge. They will suffer the sudden attack of the other side and, may, and suffer the big losses. So from no matter what kind of the perspective. So uh, military solutions can maintain only very temporary security of, of, of uh, some, only some sides, but not everyone. So if you want to find the, everyone that widely accepted solution, the only way is to go, to, to go back to the negotiation table. The only way that, we, that the both sides should do to cease fire and to reorganize uh, to find the solutions that could be accepted by both sides together. So I think in the future, maybe the the peace process should come back. Maybe the, the mutual restru- uh, trust between Israel and the Palestinians should be constructed. And the, maybe the new mechanism of, uh, of the Middle Eastern uh, peace process, especially the peace process between Israel and the Palestinians, should be introduced very urgently. Yeah, uh, you know, very briefly, uh, what are the likelihood of, uh, you know, the conflict uh, escalating into a regional war? Is the likelihood larger than 50%? I think from, from now, the, the war is still concentrated uh, between Israelis and the, Palest- and the Palestinian Gaza Strip. But with the larger wave, the humanitarian crisis erupted, especially uh, in the very modern time, which we, we have the TikTok, we have the Twitter, we have a lot of, uh, a lot of APPs that uh, news could be live. The, 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 the people who lost their lives, their sadness could be spread very quickly. It might be escalated into the regional crisis that then harms everybody in the Middle East. I don't so you're saying there's I, a I real possibility. Yeah. All right, with that, we come to the end of today's show. Many thanks to our guests. You can also find us on the CGT app on YouTube. I'm Xu Qinduo. Thanks for being with us. See you next time. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 